Hello, beautiful people. You are listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food & Wine Pro. I am your host, Kat Kinsman, Senior Editor at Food & Wine. January is a particularly cruel month. The days are short, the holidays are past, and hey, we are still living in a freaking pandemic. But we've all got to find joy where we can, and this comes in the form of the recipes and stories we are running this month. They are celebrating the particular pleasure of sopping up stews and soups with bread, making perfect flank steak and other things under the broiler, and this in particular, it makes me happy getting as much citrus into your life as physically possible. And plus, we are adding something pretty special to the end of the episodes from here on out, so be prepared to get blissed. Mary Francis Heck, I am so glad you are back with us because, um, you know, I know I say this to you every time, but like, okay, favorite issue yet. (laughs) Y'all just keep bringing the beauty here. And um, I am just loving the note of comfort that you have brought to this issue. And it is not meatloaf comfort. It's not casserole comfort. It's talk to me about the comfort you're bringing here in this dark January. Oh, thanks, Kat. I'm really excited to be back here with you, too, and um, especially to talk about something like what to cook in January and February. Um, The days are short. No matter (laughs) where you live, the weather is, you know, not Mm. great. And so um, taking inspiration from really delicious but simply prepared food is uh, what I am all about right now. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What's, uh, what's on, we're all at home right now. <laughs> you're, you know, you're, you're the test kitchen, you're, you've got your own family. Uh, what is on rotation in your kitchen these days? Well, um, you know, we were able to pack some really cool dishes into this issue. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, casseroles are always, you know, great. I think they're very comforting and um, they can be very reliable, but sometimes you want some excitement to, to come with the comfort food and and, and um but and this still is no shade on casseroles either like they get uh, us through oh i mean everybody needs like a baked mac and cheese every once in a while but i think that there's um there's something to be said for like texture and color and sizzle mm. and uh that's the kind of stuff that gets me really excited about um co- uh, cooking this time of year because it's too cold to grill and i still am looking for I, some excitement I, though Wait, okay. We need to back this up for a second because you and I are both dedicated grillers. Okay. I grill New Year's Eve. <laughs> and you and I was in uh, you know upstate New York when I'm doing this. What's your excuse in Birmingham? Okay, Kat. Um, I guess I'm trying to speak for more for like my extended friends and family okay. in more northern states. Um, I have personally <laughs> grilled three times this week already. But I'm I'm testing out recipes for this summer, so you know, take that with a grain of salt. Um, what I would recommend everybody do is get comfortable with their broiler. And I think the broiler is mm-hmm. one of those things that everyone has one, no one thinks to use it. And oh I I find that, you know, turning on the broiler, you can cook something really quickly. You can achieve awesome um caramelization or a Maillard reaction on a piece of meat. And it also kind of warms up the house and you get that you know, um, uh, you know, that sensory excitement of sizzling meat and, um, you know, you create texture and, uh, juiciness and all of these wonderful sort of, um, tactile and sensory, uh, I don't know, just the excitement of eating. Like you could smell it. You can anticipate how good that meal is going to be. 
Um, and and so, set a timer too, by the way, because <laughs> whomst amongst us hasn't had something be under that broiler for just oh, a moment yeah, too long. long. After this, Kat, I'll send you a picture of a tart that I made one time. Oh. Um, <laughs> we may include this in the show notes, the link to this photo. <laughs> It'll uh, make me feel better because you're a pro. And, oh, uh, Lord, I could fill a whole book of things I've screwed up. But, you know, and that's what you learn. And then you never make the same mistake, right? Um, no, I think... Two things that every every cook should have, and they should get really comfortable with using them and relying on them, and that is a probe thermometer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, a probe thermometer is the I think of it as like being on a lanyard. So you've got the mm-hmm. um, you know the pointy part that sticks into the food, and then uh, it's it's on a long cord, and so you can you can kind of smash that cord with your oven door. Don't don't hesitate. Um, stick the thermometer into you know a roast, for example, and then you've got a digital. Um, uh, readout an alarm outside of the oven and you can set you can set the timer um, or the temp uh, probe to alert you when you've hit the certain temperature or certain time and I love that because you know I'm thinking oh gosh I don't want to have to like babysit this chicken or babysit this uh, you know lamb roast or something I want to walk away I know it's going to take about 30 minutes and the thing will beep as soon as it gets to the perfect temperature so mm-hmm. if you like to cook meat medium rare or you want to make sure that chicken is just perfectly cooked to 160 165 once it's rested um, a thermometer don't think of it as something that like you know you're too cool to use <laughs> it is going to make it is going to make your cooking really accurate and then I would also say a timer as well um, because, you know, like you say, <laughs> we've all left something under the broiler for a, a moment too long. But um, it's, uh, yeah, there was a particular incident. My beloved husband is a spectacular cook, but uh, I don't know if you saw the uh, tribute to squash casserole and his family's recipe yeah. that I wrote. So uh, there was an incident last year where we're just trying to crisp up that potato chip chop just a little bit too much and left it. And uh, we made a makeup one the next day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get into some uh, London broils. Speaking of broilers. Ooh, yeah. Okay. So London broil, right? So I love, love, love grilled steak or um, in this case, um, grilled flank steak, you know, tri-tip, um, any, anything like that yeah. where you get, you get some um, really great texture with the meat where you cook it medium rare, but then slice it really thinly and it has this like really nice chew. Mm-hmm. And, oh my gosh. There's just something to me that it's the most craveable steak. And um, in the winter, you know, London broil, like when was the last time you made that? And it's I even so saw throwback. Oh my God. Um, and Justin Chapel has been cooking it too. He's our, um, uh, you know, culinary director at large and he's been cooking London broil. We had like this whole like mind meld yesterday. Like it's London broil season. So is it very first people. If people wanted to get it from their butcher, uh, are there other names it is known by, or is it just straight up London broil? Like, cause I know a lot of cuts ha- go by various names. Yeah. Is- um, okay. So the, the quick and dirty is that London broils actually from what we can all tell is an American invention. Um, and, and James Beard of all people documented it really well. So I, I'd encourage um, any anybody interested in culinary history to to look up um, James Beard's writing on London broil. But originally it was, um, you know, it's a cut of a cross cut of several mussels that when cooked uh, quickly under the marinated, importantly, and then cooked quickly under the broiler, um, it 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 produces something that is would normally be a tough cut, but cooking it quickly mm-hmm. with really high heat, and then and then very importantly letting it rest. 
so that it cooks, um, has that nice carryover cook and is a juicy medium, medium rare. Um, so you're going to, you can, you can cook a number of cuts of beef as London broil. Okay. So when you shop for London broil, your, um, butcher may have marked a, um, either a flank steak or a top round steak. And the difference is that a flank steak is going to be, um, one whole muscle. It has really, uh, prominent sort of end to end grain, and you can, you can see it. It's visible. It looks almost like a stripe. And when you um, slice it, you want to make sure to cut right across that grain. And you're going to end up with a really tender, beefy, very flavorful um, slice of meat. And I would say that like a one and a half pound flank steak is going to serve at least four people. Um, it is, it's really, um, it's flavorful enough that it's very satisfying. You don't have to serve anybody like an eight or 12 ounce portion of this. Um, and then when it is the, uh, top round steak, it's going to be cut across a couple of muscles. And that's the, the intention of that is that it's, uh, going to be a little more tender. Um, unfortunately I've found that just from a quality perspective, it's a lot easier to find a great quality flank steak than it is to find a consistently great quality top round steak. So mm. I recommend people seek out flank steak or just talk to your butcher and say, Hey, I'd like to broil this. Um, I'd like to marinate it and broil it. Do you have something if you're if you're shopping in a butcher shop ask them and they'll say oh here's the cut for you because this is really more of a preparation than a cut at the end of the day even though you can buy something labeled london broil oh my gosh and i'm, I'm thinking of like the you know dinner parties growing up a little bit that uh you know it, even if my, my parents weren't necessarily big steak people but it's something mm -hmm. that you would hear i don't know if you're watching bewitched or something like mm -hmm. that like, throw yeah. back like, like a couple martinis and a london broil Several, several of those. <laughs> I've been watching WandaVision recently, which is like doing the throwback, That's and I kind of want to explore those, those recipes. Would you explain to folks why uh, you might not want some sugar in this marinade? Oh my gosh, yeah. So so this marinade, um, the one that we printed here, it has one tablespoon of light brown sugar for mm -hmm. about a cup of the marinade total. So think about that. It's just like a very mm. small portion of it. Um, and that is because you are you are cooking this right under the flame, or right under the, the broiler element, and you don't want it to burn before the meat is cooked properly. So we're looking for a nice amount of char, but not that sort of like, oops, it's been in there a little too long. Uh, <laughs> sugar is the first thing that's going to burn. And so by controlling the amount of sugar, we are enabling some caramelization without it uh, kind of over charring on the outside. And what are you going to go serving with this? Oh my gosh. Um, the thing I love about this is you can you can serve it with, you know, mashed potatoes and a green vegetable, or you mm -hmm. could um, chill it and put it on salads throughout the week or wow. um, put it into tacos, um, serve it with, um, I mean, any, any beef preparation, any, anytime you'd want to eat steak or a longer cooked cut of beef, um, this is going to work really well. It's so versatile. Um, the flavor profile is very sort of, um, uh, I guess universally savory. It's got some Worcestershire. It's got a little Dijon. It's got garlic, black pepper, and some herbs. And um, it's just gonna it's just gonna taste um, savory and satisfying. So anywhere that you're you know thinking about adding beef, the thing that's really nice about this is that you can cook four to six portions of um, perfectly cooked beef in uh, just a few minutes and with one pan. So you're not trying to, um, you know, flip a number of steaks in a, in a skillet on the stove with grease flying everywhere. Um, it's a very, like, simple and controlled thing. 
plus you can marinate it like the night before and just pull it out of the marinade and pop it into the broiler. It's a really quick fix meal. As uh, at this point in the pandemic, I want to minimize my dish use. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. I am, I mean, I will say my husband is such a great dish doer. That tends to be like the thing that he defaults to. He finds it really calming, which I think is a really beautiful thing. Um, Hmm. I'm not great at it. I do do, do a lot of cooking, um, but I'm trying to uh, minimize the dishes. If people are keeping it on the veg side, I am seeing these stuffed shells. Can we talk? about the goddess ann taylor Pittman here oh my gosh yes i love this um it comes with a great story too so ann taylor Pittman is um just one of the most talented editors recipe developers and just general food people out there Mm -hmm. um she always finds a way to take these really nostalgic flavors and kind of lighten them up make them a little fresher and just deliver a really flavorful easy recipe and this is no exception um and i love that she just refers to loving like artichoke dip (laughs) <laughs> and um, so wanting crazy. to figure out how to eat artichoke dip for dinner. And so um, essentially making a, a sort of quick and easy artichoke dip, stuffing it inside um, shells and then baking it. And like, I have seen already so many people make this dish on Instagram. It's people are cr- going crazy for it. So she really knows, she knows what people want and, um, and makes it happen. So I, I think this is one that's, um, I, I have made it already. And it's reminding me that I'm going to make it again this week. Oh, and the utter genius of it too is there is jarred marinara sauce in this. Like, oh, no shame. Oh, it is all of done. Team Ina here. Like, yeah, it's. <laughs> that is fine. Yeah, and it is, and you got some some lacinato kale in there, uh, which I'm now growing in my arrow garden. I'm very excited about this development oh. in my life. Uh, yeah, and it's got cannellini beans. It's yeah, this is uh, wow. I'm just staring at this thing, and I'm like, I'm just gonna cook this whole issue over the next few days. And I'm looking at Eric Williams brown sugar salmon. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, and talk about easy recipes. I mean, this is um, such a big payoff. And it's, I mean, look at it. It's just a stunning dish. It's got, you've got salmon, you've got some roasted squash and everything is drizzled in this like light, um, simple brown sugar and citrus glaze. Really wonderful stuff. Yeah. And I'm seeing it's got some uh, delicata squash there. And uh, folks who've listened to this podcast before have heard Eric Williams and understand like you've you've heard what an absolute genius, good-hearted man he is. Now you have a chance to make his recipes as well, which is just it like his soul comes out in this, like his goodness, his inherent just beauty comes out in this recipe. It's such a such a lovely thing. And also he's from Chicago, so he knows from cold weather cooking. Um, uh, you know, like th- this is just so full of incredible, uh, you know, dishes and we're going to, you know, we're having a conversation, uh, with our cover girl and Tara on the, some of the sopping stuff here, but I also want to talk just for a second about oxtail here. Um, Brian Washington has been on the podcast before and, uh, you know, y'all heard him talk about food on here and now you get to make his oxtail. Can you tell me why you love this recipe? Oh my gosh. Um, I can, how much time do you have Kat? Um, okay. So first of all, uh, if you haven't read the story, it is our, uh, our ode, ode oh this month. God. It's a beautiful story. It, it, it made me tear up when I read it. I mean, by that, his novel, like, it's, it's everything. So good. Um, yeah. So I, I love this dish because, uh, whether you have cooked oxtail before or it's your first time, um, this is a, uh, a wonderful preparation. Um, he uses, um, 
a lot of like bold seasonings. So we have some of the sort of usual suspects for building um, rich, deep flavor, like some soy sauce, black pepper, Worcestershire, brown sugar, which I feel like is like very, those are those kinds of things you find this time of year. They're very warming and savory. Um, but then he hits it with a, a, a really generous amount of ground allspice, mm. um, scotch bonnet chilies, and then finishes it with, um, it's got butter beans and carrots. And so it has this sort of like, um, uh, you know, beef stew quality in terms of like the sauce and the, the, the vegetable garnishes in there, but it's got a ton of flavor. Um, and it almost, it would be, I mean, vaguely reminiscent of um, like a jerk seasoning, if you've had that before with thyme and that, uh, that allspice. And so it's, it's, it comes together into one of the most um, uh, surprisingly flavorful for this relatively short ingredient list recipes. It's just, it's wonderful for this time of year. And if folks want to listen to the podcast that uh, we did with him a couple months ago, it, he talks through why jerk seasoning is so important to him. There's some really, really good backstory in there. And uh, oh my God, I just want to like fall asleep in a, <laughs> in a pot full of this or maybe into a pot full of this or something. But oh, also, absolutely. you know, with cornbread as a pillow, perhaps, if you want to talk cornbread <laughs> for a sec here. Yeah. So um, in um, Hunter's Ed Letter this month, uh, he featured food editor Josh Miller's cornbread recipe, um, which we also have featured this recipe as uh, really the best recipe for homemade cornbread dressing at Thanksgiving or, or cornbread stuffing, um, depending on your uh, <laughs> word choice. But it's a really great, really simple um, recipe. It requires a cast iron skillet and you preheat it with lots of butter and then make the simple batter and pour it in there and um, Josh is, um, Southern through and through, and I'm from new England. And so we always discuss, you know, how much sugar goes mm -hmm. in the cornbread. He actually, as a, as a true Southerner, he does allow a pinch of sugar. We've got about a tablespoon in here. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's also, you know, this, uh, sort of question of the ratio between cornmeal and flour and then the grind on the cornmeal. So he goes for a stone ground yellow cornmeal in a ratio of two to one with all purpose flour. So this is definitely going to be more of a uh, corn forward cornbread mm -hmm. as opposed to some of the cakier cornbreads that you get in other regions. Um, but it's really great. And I think that there's this uh, universal truth to January um, about sopping. And so you're looking for these dishes that are really hearty, but then you want something to dunk in there and kind of soak up all the goodness. Um, and Antara will, will take you home with that. She's got a, a lot of really wonderful suggestions as well. Oh my gosh. I mean, that, that sopping issue, when, when it first came up on our company Slack, everybody was just weighing in on the, the, the soppy sauces and bread and, and just the glory of that moment. I mean, we're in a, you know, we're in a, time and place right now where there is absolutely no room for waste of anything yeah. and i don't get people who don't sop but there are folks who don't i'm like i will get in there with my fingers i will do i don't know sopping is a universal truth and um this story is really wonderful it, it's sort of around the world and five different um stews and things to sop them up with so, oh, um, so and there were so many more ideas but um if only we could fit you know, I think you could write a whole book about it. I love it so much because it's just, you know, you get in there with your hands and I, I am such an eater with my hands that, uh, you know, I am all about this story. And you know awesome. what? I'm, I'm really feeling chicories 
here. Oh my gosh. I know. Okay. So um, the patron saint of chicories, Christy Mucci is, she is an advocate for these beautiful, typically Italian bitter uh, leaves. And she uh, did the work. She went to a chicory conference and (laughs) she is um, always at the green market posting photos of all the incredible varieties that are um, being, being grown by different farmers and uh, this story, we got to really nerd out on this ingredient. It's, it's funny because people who may have only ever had like little threads of um, maybe like radicchio in a bagged salad mix for color, um, you know, they, they don't, you don't really get a good sense of what, what um, chicories taste like. And it is one of the, the most unusual um, items. It's, it, it's, they're not incredibly widely distributed, but they're getting more popular and chefs love them. Mm. So the colors, the textures, the shapes, they are like a whole world within a, a limited, you know, sort of small family um, at one genus of um, of a plant has this much variety within it. So if you think about, I, I oftentimes talk about like heirloom tomatoes and we think about how many mm-hmm. you know, colors and sizes and flavors of tomatoes. Can you imagine if tomatoes came in, you know, this, this many shapes and sizes and colors? It's just... It's oh incredibly God. cool to think about nature. And you and I can dork out about varietals until, <laughs> until the sun sets. Because uh, I want to walk people through just um, a few of these. So they, again, if they're going to their store or, you know, their vendor or whatever like that, can ask for them. Things like punterelle. What mm. are you Yeah. Like, there, there's radicchio. There, there's... Okay, endive endive. <laughs> the pronunciation tomato, was, tomato. I don't well, know. I always say endive myself, but <laughs> well, so what I would say is, if you've if you have uh, no idea where to start with with getting to know chicories, um, I would say to seek out one of two chicories, and the first I would recommend is escarole, and so this is a really like big head of uh, broad green leaves. And they can be a little bit bitter and um, they're like kind of bitter and sweet, but they don't have, you know, a ton of very pronounced flavor. They also have, they're crunchy uh, near their stalk and then they're, they're sort of silky and soft as the leaves um, reach out. So I love escarole um, kind of cut into one inch pieces mm-hmm. and then in a pan with a lot of olive oil, like way more than you think. Just <laughs> Um, saute a couple of garlic cloves and an anchovy if you're that kind of person and then add handfuls of the escarole kind of folding with tongs to coat them with the olive oil and wilt them down cook them for just like maybe 15 minutes and that's it and this is a great great introductory way to kind of understand what happens with chicory so they're bitter and they have tons of texture when they're raw and then as they cook, they get silky and sweet and these like nutty, interesting flavors start to come out of them. So I would recommend folks explore raw and cooked chicories. And then um, on the other side of things, I think that um, radicchio is a really great sort of entry level chicory. It's very beautiful and it can it can run the range, run the gamut from um, bitter to um, kind of like like sharply bitter to sweet bitter. And the leaves are pretty crunchy. It's a wonderful addition to salads, uh, but you can also um, sear it or braise it as we do in um, this amazing recipe from Victoria Blamey. Oh, um, she's so good. She's so good. 
<laughs> and she's going to be uh, doing a guest stint at uh, Blue Hill Stone Barns. I am so excited for that. Oh my gosh, yeah. I hope you go. You'll have to let me know how it is. Um, yeah, I, I don't care if I have really to stand out. In, lined up. I can't. Uh, if I have to stand out in the snow, I will do so. <laughs> <laughs> For her food, she's absolutely incredible. Um, and I'm just, you know, I'm looking through all these, and I want to give a shout that our uh, <laughs> our colleague Oset Babur is a parsnip freak and has been angling <laughs> to have a parsnip cake in an issue for ages, and she finally had her wish here. Um, okay, so this recipe, it's a brown butter radicchio and parsnip cake. And before you turn off the podcast, hear me out. Um, <laughs> this is a, a bunt cake with this really lovely cream cheese drizzle on top. And if you like carrot cake, you are going to love this cake. And it is a really smart way. Oftentimes, a head of radicchio is a little bit too big for... Um, for dinner, just for two people, you know, I'll like cut it in half and then like shred. You believe in yourself. I, I know cat, but I'm saying like, <laughs> if I shred it to like add it to a mix for salads. Right. So then I have like about it, like maybe like a half a head of radicchio knocking around in the fridge. Um, this recipe feature it, like you need about a half a head of radicchio and then you slice it really thinly and fold it into this really wonderful cake batter. It's kind of like a coffee cake. And, um, it does something magical. It, it, it turns into that, like I was referring to, like that silky sort of nutty sweet um, quality that cooked cooked chicories get. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is no exception. And yes, Oset gets her parsnips. <laughs> uh, I get my radicchio and everyone eats cake. So and everyone gets brown butter. I mean, <laughs> I mean, these. I'm not saying that these are like um like diet weight loss chicory recipes these are ways to truly enjoy this incredible vegetable yeah i got no time for that right now like mm -mm. <laughs> eat the butter do the wholesome, wholesome cooking this is what that is well let's talk about monks for a second though <laughs> what yeah, monks have I mean, to do with this issue i think as we're just walking through this beautiful issue um jody eddy who is i'm so fortunate is a dear friend of mine um, is working on a really big project about the uh, food traditions at monasteries around the world. Um, she's working on a cookbook that will be out soon and also a show. And so mm -hmm. she is um, has a story in this issue kind of linking uh, monastic tr cooking traditions. So monastic cooking traditions with chefs who have sought uh, refuge or times of um, peace and quiet and nourishment at monasteries. And so we have four stories of chefs who uh, visited monasteries and got to know these communities and the really nourishing, um, soulful recipes they carried away. Um, I, I would encourage everyone to read this story and just, just soak up the photography as well. Um, Kristen Teig, who's an incredibly talented photographer, um, shot all of these monasteries on location. And um, I, it's just really a transportive, beautiful story for when none of us can can go anywhere. So I, I this one is really uh, something I, I needed to see this time of year. Yeah. And I also really the uh, recipe that Osai Indolin uh, brought for a cocktail involving uh, hibiscus, it's this beautiful pink drink bolstered with, with gin. And it's, I, I actually texted her when I finally got to sit down with the issue. And it, it's, I don't know, it, it just feels like, you know, blossom in your face. It's, I know that sounds like a ridiculous thing, but you know, I, 
I personally need to see growth and and nature and everything this time of year. Right now, it's my citrus blossoms and stuff, but just mm-hmm. that kind of vibrant color in a drink. And you know, and she you know fully says like a lot of people are doing uh, dry January right now, but that month's almost over. So <laughs> it's uh, it, it's just it's a drink that you really really want to have in your in your face. And um, I also wanted to shout out Steve Hoffman's ode. Uh, to winemaker like just finding the page and here we're we're working analog here folks <laughs> as i'm actually flipping through the paper copy yeah yeah lulu payroad um yeah. from the Adieu. main Tempier. yeah yeah adieu lulu he was good friends with this winemaker and it is a, just such a beautiful tribute to a woman who had tremendous impact on the wine world and anywhere that i can get steve hoffman's words i absolutely want to do that um are there any recipes that we have not hit yet oh you know what I, you mentioned citrus and oh. <laughs> i would be remiss to not mention um we are, this is the first month that we have a new column out called Easy Bakes. And um, as someone who is personally averse to baking, mostly for the, for the dishes, as you mentioned, um, and special equipment and time spent for payoff, um, I am much more likely to patronize a bakery uh, when I am uh, in need of sweets or celebration um, desserts. But this, this was a cake that uh, was sort of like, somewhere in the back of my head. And I kept thinking about like, wow, I really wish that I just had a back pocket or, you know, top of mind cake that I could just make that was, that was not hard and didn't require sort of, um, uh, difficult. I I say difficult, but it's just sort of like, it's, it's getting your head into the game. So I wanted a recipe that was going to be really easy to execute kind of a one bowl cake and a really simple frosting that didn't require any special equipment. And that's where this idea for easy bakes comes from. And this month we have a lemon cake with cream cheese frosting. And and Kat, I want to devote this one to you because it Thank is you. really bright, really citrusy, and it uses every part of the lemon. Oh, you know how I feel about <laughs> about that. I I mean I I have been uh, my calamondins. I'm gonna dork out about citrus in, in uh, the next segment, but uh, I've been eating calamondins like they're going out of style and I grew them in my very own, uh, like several feet from where I'm sitting now. And you eat the rind. And if you're me, you still crunch the seeds. And they're just, I love eating rinds. I love eating lemon rinds, like uh, orange rinds, wherever I can get uh, rind and pith and all that kind of stuff into my face. I do. Mm. So thank you for this recipe. I know what I'm making. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, this one is, it's, it's got a really simple trick when you first start. And I would recommend anybody who's about to juice a lemon to always zest the lemon first. And to kind of massage it with your fingers into some sugar. And what that's going to do is extract all of those gorgeous aromatic oils right into the sugar. And it's going to flavor whatever you make, cake, simple syrup, mm-hmm. um, you name it, with just this deep essence of citrus. Folks, get make yourself some oleosaccharum for for your cocktails, <laughs> and uh, you will be absolutely... I know, and I, I know a lot of people avoid the pith. I personally like it, but... Uh, yeah, there's no bad part of a lemon to me. I even, I, you know, I will, I will just leave you with this, cat. I think that, um, you know, the last year has taught us to take the bitter with the sweet, and um, <laughs> sure in both has. cases of chicory and lemon pith, I think um, kind of exploring those flavors, challenging your palate if that's not something you're used to. Um, I think you can really find new and exciting flavors that that maybe you haven't explored before. That's pretty pithy, my friend. Oh. <laughs> 
And Tara, I feel silly inviting or welcoming you to this podcast because you're the freaking producer thereof. But I'm so glad to have your voice in here. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh my god. No, it's such a it's such a treat. And folks who are listening, you hear her name every week. Please welcome Mentara. And uh, you know, she is I I'm refraining from singing because I sing at this poor woman too often or like sort of virtually via Slack. I've been doing a sop 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 that's some wet ass roti, which we'll <laughs> explain in a minute. But I just want to sing like RuPaul's cover girl at you right now because you have the freaking cover of Food Wine right now. I know. And even a month in, I, it feels so bizarre and unreal. I I mean, uh, the reaction to this doll on the cover, I've, you know, I've been watching on social media as, as people have seen it and it's having a really emotional impact on, on folks to see this particular dish on the cover. It is so inviting and comforting. And, you know, I realize I keep saying this about dishes, but like, I just want to like put on a little swim cap and, and <laughs> swim around in, in this gorgeous, gorgeous dish. Can you talk about this whole feature, how it came to be and uh, which we're internally, we were, call, we were calling it the sopping story and stuff, but this particular recipe just has something magic about it. Yeah. So this recipe is something that I grew up eating for my entire life. And I think that one of the reasons that you mentioned it has such kind of an emotional response is that it's probably one of the most like overlooked workhorse meals, dinners in a lot of South Asian homes. And so it tends to go a little bit underappreciated, I think. Um, I know that for me, I didn't fully appreciate it until I was like, you know, moved out on my own. And I'd call my mom and be like, I really wish I had roti dal right now for dinner instead of I don't know, whatever college excuse for dinner I had, <laughs> <laughs> ramen or something. Right. <laughs> but yeah, and so I, I feel like it was such a great opportunity because of COVID, I have basically been home with my family for the past year in Florida. And so it was just kind of an opportunity to just follow my mom around in the kitchen and actually, you know, finally write down and learn how to make this myself and present it to, um, you know, the folks in the food the food team who like totally helped me every step of the way to like make it as reader friendly as possible. And I mean, there's such an emotional impact to seeing, again, like you said, this overlooked dishes, this workhorse thing, something you grew up with that really sustained you to see it on uh, with the cover of a, a magazine. I mean, a lot of the, the people who saw responding like grew up in a Southeast Asian uh, home. And it was just like one of the dishes they took for granted, but to see it sort of celebrated in this particular way, like I walked into my, you know, I subscribed to the magazine, obviously, but I <laughs> walked into my, my local CVS and I saw it there on the newsstand. And I, I don't know, it, it stands out and it's like this gorgeous beacon. Could you talk through what this dish is? Sure. So we have dal, which is, um, so a dal itself doesn't mean lentil, but typically, General, like generally speaking, these lentil dishes we call dal. Um, and so it's basically a very customizable, somewhere between a soup and a stew, depending on how you prefer it, um, dish with lots of warming spices, cilantro, and it's eaten with roti, which is homemade flatbread, which is, again, very simple. Typically, my mom just makes it with just, you know, wheat flour, water on a hot tava, and that's dinner in about 
20 to 30 minutes if you're my mom if I'm drinking myself <laughs> it'll take an hour and a half, <laughs> and a half. <laughs> yeah and can we talk about your incredible mom for a second <laughs> I'm obsessed with her Instagram <laughs> yeah again this is another COVID thing I think everybody really got behind sourdough so quickly and my mom has become a sourdough superstar in the past three months and has like really oh my gosh we I've eaten sourdough everything at this point just from how passionate she is about this the past few weeks. <laughs> can we shout out her Instagram handle here so people can follow this magic happening? Yeah, she's at Bal, though Bal, which is actually a pun in Hindi. I'll get to that in a second. But it's P-A-L <laughs> underscore Doe underscore P-A-L. I was begging for her to come on and I failed I in my mission. No, it's, it's just... A, I, <laughs> she's I a think busy woman. She's a busy doctor. She's... Yeah, she's not a doctor. She's an anesthesiologist assistant, which is basically the work of an anesthesiologist. And so her work schedule is very up in the air a lot of the times. Oh, okay. Excuse me for that, because I assume that, like, I would think of anesthesiologists as doctors because, like, they do that much training and, and all of that. <laughs> but she's like, I am blown away by her. And though it doesn't surprise me because you're awesome. And so she is going to be awesome, obviously. Like, <laughs> you know, but I want to talk to this recipe just a little bit more so people know exactly, you know, if, if maybe people uh, want to get some of these like gorgeous spices into their lives, the chilies and things like that, you have a, a recommendation for where they can get real good stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I've grown up on like, basically South Asian store staples. Um, but I mean, I think we've talked about this frequently in this podcast as well. There's just been such an opportunity for really well-sourced spices that have emerged in the past few years. Um, I'm going to, of course, shout out Diaspora. Um, they're, oh my God, yeah, there's turmeric, their chilies, everything. I mean, responsible sourcing that they do is, is really important to making sure that the farmers benefit in the same way. It's just, I don't know, it's been a gorgeous spice revolution. Absolutely. And I think also just giving value to these ingredients that we don't, we, you know, we take, we have taken for granted for such a long time. And I think saying, no, your cardamom should be costing this much. This is how much labor and time and effort and love goes into these products. Yeah. And also, I think a lot of people grew up with maybe spice cabinets and you go. And <laughs> so I, I, my uh, mother-in-law passed away some years back in, in her nineties and I actually got her uh, her spice containers um, when when she passed away because I was absolutely obsessed with them. I opened up the cabinet door once, and I was like, "Wait, I don't know that brand. I don't know that uh, whatever it is." And there were these sort of really old school looking spices in there. And then I realized, like, they've probably been bought in the '70s or '80s and not updated and tasted <laughs> like dust, like dust. I mean, yeah. I saw. I love these containers, but people. Um, you know, I, you know, grew up, like, you know, I tried to, you know, go and get spices and stuff as a kid, but it just, there, there wasn't as much availability for the really carefully sourced, uh, fresh stuff. And, Absolutely. You know, and I think even for me growing up on South Asian store brands, they're very, they're very recognizable, but I mean, same situation, you'd get like a half kilo bag of turmeric and it's in your freezer for such a long time. And, you know, when you actually go to eat it, when you compare that to these, like, really stellar spice companies and their spices, I mean, it, the taste is incomparable. So, it's, it, I've yeah. gotten to do side by side of, of some of this, and it really is like, it, take that extra time and, and, you know, and do that and find these spices. And, you know, we have, you know, links in various places on our, on our site. So I'll make sure to put it in the, the podcast notes here. Um, I also want to talk about, you know, for, for people who 
you know, haven't cooked as much, who didn't have the, the, you know, the joy of growing up with, with lentils and, and everything, like anything, like expert advice that you would share for, for this? For just- yeah, I mean, I think versatility is kind of the main selling point of this. So um, this, the recipe that I, um, the recipe that this is has three different types of lentils. It has like moong, it has uh, masur, which are split red lentils, and then it has stur dal, which is split pigeon peas. Um, so this combination is so customizable depending on what you have available, depending on what your preferences are um, and what texture you're going for. But really the spices are totally up to you. So if you're looking for anything soupy and hearty, you can pretty much customize this to whatever you have on hand. It's really accessible. That is such a lovely lovely thing uh, because i mean we're all you know we're operating in a pandemic exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and mary francis and i had talked about a recipe that involves like jarred sauce and stuff like that like you gotta you, you gotta do what you do to get the to get the delicious delicious uh garbled today you gotta <laughs> usually it would shout out antara but like <laughs> i'm like flagged for nine minutes 22 seconds like uh, uh, <laughs> actually let's leave this into so people know the kind of work that antara does behind the scenes here <laughs> what you don't hear is a guest and me like shouting out like Antara and she comes in and snips out usually when I'm tongue-tied or something I don't know so. what you're talking about I think it's every time <laughs> and I will note also for the listeners on the previous podcast she had to uh edit out me actually whimpering at a <laughs> while I was trying to deal with the tech issue uh and she did not make me feel embarrassed about it yeah, so in addition to my dal and roti, we've got a few other amazing recipes that are totally worth making and adding, especially right now. I think it's cold and we're still in the middle of winter, even though we're past the holidays. These are the kind of the comforting things you really want to add to your repertoire. So we've got this amazing yogurt soup with Belaba from Oset, which is definitely top of list for me. Um, we have this coconut shrimp curry with burra, which is from Eric. Um, and I'm trying to think there's, oh wait, there's one more. Oh, we've got some, we, well, we've got this incredible uh, mole verde here with yeah. corn tortillas. And I, good God. It looks I, amazing. I, I actually was uh, emailing with them earlier today. I am going to spend my weekend making this absolutely incredible uh, dish that it, it takes, you put in the work on this one and they, you know, straight up say, this is not a casual weeknight meal. This is one that you put the, the labor into. And I like that sort of like the practice of, of labor and honoring, um, you know, the people who, you know, who, who originated this dish in it. Absolutely. And it makes it so much more exciting and worth sharing with loved ones too, when you have like a real story and a real effort that goes behind these dishes. I mean, one of the things that I really love about this whole feature is it, it, you know, it really gets into these stories. The writing is so gorgeous. And uh, Jamila Robinson, uh, she, (laughs) it's so funny. Like we, we text a lot and uh, she'll just like sort of pop in some French and I'm like, you're talking French to me. (laughs) She she taught me the the word quignon. Um, And also folks who have listened to this podcast for a long time it's that same Jamila Robinson and you're going to be seeing so much more of her in the pages of food and wine soon yes and also just in general this her little bit of writing that goes with this brings that came out probably one of my favorite blurbs that we have with this feature it is so fun and it's so tactile and you learn a new word I did not know that's what you call the end of a baguette but now that's part of my vocabulary (laughs) 
she teaches me things all the time and and also for folks little uh little easter egg here if you read her piece from a year ago about uh, the frenchman and the rabbit and want to con- continue on with uh, her path here this is this is a fun uh extra part to that yeah they're super fun beautiful piece of writing I, that is seared in my memory i love it so much <laughs> it is uh, and but also like get i think we're allowed to say this at this at this point you're going to be seeing an upcoming uh, monthly column from jamila called uh rabbit holes and it's it's really a truly beautiful thing and i'm so grateful we're going to have her words in the magazine i feel lucky and speaking of luck and tara <laughs> you also oversaw another incredible feature about you know i know the people eat um lucky foods for new year's day and this is after new year's day but i need all the luck i can get exactly i feel like this year especially we were all just fingers crossed (laughs) hoping for you know some sort of reprieve from the year before so definitely you could take luck through the whole month through the whole year why not um we have three three dishes that i was really excited to get with a lot of help from my friends just getting these folks on board um we have Hop and John from Todd Richards. And mm, he's so good. I know. And also this dish is gorgeous. It's not your typical Hop and John. This one happens to be vegetarian, but he makes an option. If you'd like to add pork, you can go ahead. But this one uses harissa paste. So it's has a smoky spiciness to it that it's it looks gorgeous. And I know that, I mean, I'm usually typically not a Black Eyed Peas fan, I know. But this is something that I was super excited to make. Um, then we've got from... In Sibir, we got this uh, kiri bath with lunamiras, which is these coconut rice sort of diamonds covered in the sambal, which is uh, like a very acidic and spicy like onion and chili mixture on top. Um, I really like the story behind that. She said that this is something that they would typically make, you know, it's maybe not the spicy sambal, but the rice in particular is usually like a baby's first solid food. You make it when you move into a new home. It's just the perfect way to have an auspicious beginning to any sort of big moment in your life. So this is definitely on my list as well. Mm. Um, All that coconut milk in it too. I just, yeah, that looks good. It looks so rich and decadent. I'm very excited for this one. Mm -hmm. And let's talk yam patties. Yeah. So Zoe's auto is probably the most like vibrant dish that I've seen in a while. The palm oil gives it such a vibrant orange color in these yam patties. Um, And the egg is kind of the symbolic lucky feature of this dish because egg symbolizes new life and um it's basically a vehicle for the egg essentially for her lucky her lucky bite and i want to note also that let's uh, yams here this is actual yam not sweet potato because i know that that gets messed up in american culture a lot these are actual uh is is a ghanaian dish and you have to uh, you know seek out yams it's it's so worth it uh and you know, I, I know that you know, sometimes it, it feels like, oh, you know, maybe I can make the swap. Don't. If, if you possibly can on, you know, these these dishes, like, I, I know it's so hard if you live somewhere where maybe these things aren't readily available. But, you know, it's part of the, the, the journey and the process and honoring um, recipes and traditions, if you can possibly do this. This is not to shame anyone who doesn't have access to these things, but it's just... If you think of it as a little extra thrill, it's it's a really wonderful thing to yeah. do. And we've also recommended, Zoe recommended a good source in the magazine. If you're looking to purchase um, Puna yam or palm oil, um, there's some like there's a website called 
let's see, Ola's Foods Market, which will help you kind of source, like, especially like black owned sourcing for a lot of these African um, ingredients. So highly recommend doing that. Mm, I'm checking out the lacy edges of these yam patties and so just, crispy. They look so good. <laughs> I am such a texture eater that it, uh, you know, I'm just so thrilled because I can already see how that's going to turn out. And if I screw up the first few, oh, I'm just going to make more. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that that will be delicious. <laughs> yeah, I feel lucky already <laughs> as seeing all of these things. And you know, I'm in such a. I think we're we're all cooking at home <laughs> so much I you know I keep making the same things over and over and I'm trying to shake it up and I feel like this issue is going to be a really good thing like so uh, other than recipes that uh, you have uh, you know that are your own personal here um, what what do you want to make most out of here um out of these three or out of the or out of the whole issue Okay, I've had Mary Frances's lemon layer cake on my list since I had this magazine in hand, and I just need an occasion to make it. I'm so excited for that. <laughs> I just love that you said that because we actually talked about that. Oh, great! <laughs> yeah. In in the thing, um, and it's it's really good. And I am, uh, you know, in my little segment here, we're gonna get real nerdy about citrus. So <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, I'm so excited to hear that. Yeah, I'm super excited for this. And I just also want to thank you for the labor that you put into producing this podcast uh, every week. I know that sometimes I just hand you piles of spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, make a meal of this or whatever with dropped audio with all of these things. And um, this is the thing that I feel lucky about is getting to do this podcast with you. Oh my God, you're, you're too kind. It's always a pleasure. And I love listening to your conversations. I feel like even for me, I mean... Like I'm only three years working in food media and I feel like I learned so much about interviewing from you from listening to these. Listening to these. So well, it's always really fun to, to, to work through these. <laughs> Thanks for making me <laughs> look okay on this. And folks, uh, now that she's in our clutches on this side of the mic, we're never letting her go and you're going to be hearing from Antara a lot. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I have to... <laughs> <laughs> and next time with your mom. <laughs> yeah, I have to for sure convince her. She she really wanted to and it's just a matter of like scheduling but i will try to get her on but maybe as her sourdough instagram grows we'll make sure to get her on and if, well if people want to follow you on instagram and on social how can they do that sure um i'm just at antara sinha on twitter and instagram although my instagram is just a lot of me biding time in florida before i can get back to work <laughs> it's not just food but yeah that's okay like i i am grateful to look at it every time and uh yeah let's make your mom a star she already is but let's make it more <laughs> official <laughs> thank you so much okay i will fully disclose that i have a horrible habit of bullying my colleagues to bend to my will um it's benign bullying i like to think of it as <laughs> but as uh you, you heard in the previous segments we were bringing up the glorious oset Bobur, and uh, we were talking about her sopping recipe and then i just <laughs> sent her a note and said okay please you know did i say did i say please i said i don't remember I, I think you said please even if you didn't say it it was implied and i felt it it was in my heart because <laughs> I wanted to talk about, in a very narcissistic way, uh, the, a story that I wrote for the January issue. And it only happened because of the wonderful Oset, whose name you hear on this podcast uh, every week when I talk about the newsletter. She is our, I just want to make sure it's, I always get associate and assistant mixed up. 
like for your title, like restaurant editor. Uh, yeah, associate. <laughs> I miss this woman desperately. In regular times, we sit across from each other in the office and uh, she's the light of my life and I don't get to see her anymore. So uh, welcome to our obs uh, obsessions uh, editor here. Uh, <laughs> could you describe for the good people what obsessions is to you? Oh boy, obsessions. Obsessions is everything and nothing all at once. It is <laughs> it is a magical world. Um so it's the front of the magazine that tends to just kind of be a place where um we have editors and you know freelance writer freelance contributors as well just talk about the chefs and the recipes and the ingredients and the products and the books that we're really obsessed with. And so it's kind of the only place in the magazine where you can just like wax poetic about a thing <laughs> that you're really into. And that's okay because that's what the section is designed for. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's probably the most challenging in some ways because it has to be really timely, but print production is what, what it is. And so, um, yeah, so obsessions ends up being home to a lot of, um, really wonderful kind of personal stories like cats, um, citrus, like this citrus piece, which is <laughs> so, so marvelous and personal. And it's a really obsessions is the best home. I feel like for kind of like emotional, like the, what is it? Emotional emocom, like, emocom, <laughs> emocom and obsessions are a match made in heaven because, you know, obsessions is really product driven and service driven, but like, obviously there's no shortage of people recommending things for you to buy. But when you write this like emotional explanation as to why this trivet or this ice maker or <laughs> this, you know, citrus growing contraption is like the thing, like that is different than what else is out there. And I feel like it, um, it really like sets apart the recommendations that we make in the section, or at least I hope it does. I think if people have listened to this podcast for a while, they've heard me talk dorkily about my citrus for a while. So it's, I'm sitting by my cart uh, here that has, uh, I don't know if you can hear them or not, but loud fluorescent lights um, over a <laughs> variety of citrus trees that uh, I think at, at this point, gosh, I think I have 20 citrus trees growing. That's amazing. I had a I had a friend actually DM me on Instagram a couple like a few months ago and she was or she she posted a story rather first and was like looking to get into citrus growing in my own house like how can I do this and she lives in Colorado and I would like message her back and was like we actually have a big citrus story coming out with like you know all of the ways to bring citrus home and then this piece came out and I was just like so excited that it was like actually like it's kind of a different level of cool when you like see someone ask a question on your feed unrelated to something mm -hmm. that's being worked on and you're like ah this thing it exists <laughs> so I mean so much of obsession seems to be like well first of all like your your job is really tough because you have to think like because we we work so far in advance yeah. that you have to think like what is still going to be like cool and relevant you know many many months and a totally different season from now and mm -hmm. there's the combo of that and in our slack channels just like every single editor being like oh my gosh I said I like I'm obsessed with this thing can I write about it please <laughs> yeah it's like it's tough because of paging too like there's so many things we want to write about but then it's like okay how do we how do we have these things live on a page together and um our creative director Winslow loves when I just throw a bunch of random stuff on a page and I'm like hey Winslow here's a bunch of stuff and he's like cool you have to cut all of it <laughs> so, but, breaking hearts know, yeah it's okay that's kind of what Winslow does 
He's good, um, but... good people. And uh, I have to say yeah. the illustrations that he called in for, for this story, I like, I gasped when I saw them. We will include a link to uh, the illustrator's uh, Instagram in the show notes for this because she's so stupendously talented and uh, made all my dreams. You make so many of our dreams come true. <laughs> and I've been agitating since day one at Food and Wine to please uh, let let me write about uh, citrus. And um, <laughs> as a person who uh, usually sits near me in the office, uh, you you know uh, that the air around me smells like citrus, like during the winters. <laughs> how many I, times, I love that. How I many times that. have I like lobbed a clementine at your head? <laughs> Honestly, it's like, it's fun too, because citrus, I, I feel like I had a very tumultuous relationship with citrus Tell as a me. child because- Okay, let's unpack really, this. How does that make you feel? <laughs> I, I, um, so I really hated citrus with pulp as a child. I had like a, an issue with like pulpy juice for whatever reason. It really mm -hmm. grossed me out. And so I, but it's bad because I feel like all the pulp is all the good stuff. Um, and I, I, I don't know, like that, that was like a citrus hang up for me. And I grew, I like spent a lot of my summers in Turkey and like was exposed to like, I guess the fruits that I like love the most, like I really love figs. Like I kind of gravitate towards like stone fruit and mm -hmm. berries more than I do citrus. But then I, I feel like you have sort of infected me with your love of citrus and I've kind of come to to appreciate it in a different light than I did before. I'm giving citrus the respect it deserves. Again, like I'm a bully. I'm a very cruel, nasty bully <laughs> about these, these things uh, that, that I love. And, yes. uh, you know, all I want in life is to be a citrus fluencer. I think, and, I you, think know, you are a citrus I think fluencer a, at this I, point. Actually, I will say I'm a co-citrus fluencer with Joey Hernandez from Bon Appetit. Because yeah, he, I see him post about citrus a lot. Uh, our DMs are constantly lighting up with all the trees that we have bought. His husband, uh, he's <laughs> he's going to throw them out if he buys one more tree. Uh, but, you know, I actually put into uh, my wedding vows that uh, I am <laughs> able to have uh, food experiments and plant experiments and stuff around the house. And that was just gonna be how it is. And <laughs> that, and my husband has been, um, uh, who has been on this podcast before has, has been very calm with that. So I have them kind of like set up around the, around my home. The thing is like, I, I, I get obsessed as, as we, get we go with the word. And, uh, and so I've gone down this rabbit hole and speaking of rabbit holes, uh, this will, uh, as we said earlier, Jamila Robinson Indeed. will have a new column called rabbit holes in the, in the uh, future editions of this magazine. Is it starting in March? I think it is. Yes. The first iteration is in March. Um, oh and I'm super, God. super excited about it. It's going to be so, so beautiful. I'm so excited about this. Um, but I, you know, I thought like, oh, maybe I'll get one, like one little like Calamondin or Meyer lemon tree or something like that. And, and that just sort of led to me buying things like, I wish I could rattle it off at the top of my head, but I have Eustace lime quats. You know I what? You saying this, so I should, I feel like I should amend my earlier statement. Lemon is my favorite dessert flavor on the planet. Like I am trying to convince um, my loved ones that I should be able to have a lemon wedding cake. Why not? Um, 
Well, the wedding is in October now because COVID. So. Well, because COVID. <laughs> right. But I le- like lemon and desserts. I like I there is nothing I love more than a good lemon square. So like I will I will say I'm very pro lemon square. I will note that every uh, segment we have done in this podcast thus far has talked about the lemon cake that is in this episode. <laughs> yeah. It's, Le- an- it's it's great. Well, and it uses all different parts of the lemon too, which is a really glorious thing. Just, yeah, I, the lemon is the gift that keeps on giving. Like, I feel like you can zest it into pasta. You can like have a peel in a cocktail, even though my peels never look as artful as like the ones in cocktail bars, but that's okay. Practice, pal. Like this is, I think this is, uh, you know, we're all developing our pandemic skills and it's I think true. maybe lemon art, but you have, and I'm going to like out you here, like been studying for your wine certificate. So, you know, uh, not a lot of time yeah. for cocktails. No. Oh, that's true. It's been, <laughs> yeah, it's like, there's, you know, one of the things that's come up like for tasting prep has been like lemon rind versus lemon juice versus lemon, like, like the other parts of the lemon. And I, and I just feel like I've gotten really intimate with different parts of fruits now as a result of studying for this. And so, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to be a big dork here and <laughs> list off <laughs> all of the citrus trees that I'm currently growing in my Brooklyn apartments. Meyer lemon, key lime, red lime, calamondin, finger lime. Actually, I have two finger lime trees, like one more established and one little bitty guy. Eustace lime plots. <laughs> a, uh, oh, wait, no, I did put the two because uh, I have uh, finger lime and tiny finger lime. Bergamot, chinado, rangpur lime, makrut lime, Buddha's hand, etrog, satsuma, kishu, mandelo, and yuzu, and seville orange. Uh, it that reminds me of my childhood in the best way. Okay, so we actually had uh, spoken about your Turkish recipe. So let's talk about you in Turkey. Oh, what about me in Turkey? <laughs> well, okay. So is this a Turkish thing? Is, is, uh, for, and pardon my ignorance here. No, no, no. Um, well, it's interesting you ask that. Like bergamot is, uh, it's a, it's, you know, the, like, I guess as a fragrance, it's like one that I associate a lot with the summer home that my grandparents used to have in Yelova, which is, um, it's like about an hour outside of Istanbul, you get to it by ferry. Um, and it just, I like that smell of bergamot, I like associate mm. it with a lot. Um, and I think, you know, it was, there's like a lot of like farm areas around there. And so, um, yeah, I guess it is kind of common there, but I also feel like in, in Istanbul, as well as the rest of Turkey, you get to like really know your like fruit stand guy. Like my mm-hmm. mom has a fruit stand guy and like <laughs> has always like, you know, my parents have shopped from like her family shop from like the same fruit stand guy. And like, you kind of like, you go and buy your citrus and like your other produce from him and not from the grocery store. Like, it's just better that way. I don't really know why, but that's just like what you do. And like, it's not uncommon like we went to the mall last time I was in Turkey, which was like over a year ago at this point, and some dude was selling pomegranates out the back of his truck, and we just like pulled over and like bought some pomegranates from his truck, and it was like, cool, yeah, this is what we do, and they were great pomegranates. So I love that so much, and well, and speaking of pomegranates <laughs> as as well, like you know the yes, this particular piece is about citrus, but it's also mm-hmm. about general fruit 
obsession and uh, I didn't actually name names in the article, but when I talked about, so I talk about this thing called uh, OFT official fruit time. And this is, uh, and this is me bullying with fruit. (laughs) Apparently (laughs) we have a through line here um, where I sent a crate of uh, mangosteens to our restaurant editor, Kushbu Shah, and with, but with a specific uh, kind of writer attached to it that I said, if you are, opening this and you're uh if you're opening this fruit you have agreed to the official rules of the rules of official fruit time which means that if you're interacting with the fruit you can only be doing that you can't be on twitter you can't be uh you know doing any kind of social media you can't be doing work that you have to yeah because i think it's so hard to take time for yourself and Really, if you are just there and fully present with the fruit, and especially if it's something that like it takes time and care to open, a mangosteen takes a little bit of labor to get open. If like especially if you've like let it age for a couple of days, those um, those hulls can be pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. like I've taken at it with a hacksaw before, and so, but that was my <laughs> fault for not eating them right away. Um, and I actually sent some to Priya Krishna that actually I sent her uh, lychees that one of our oh, best new chefs had sent me. Yeah. Cause the thing is like, I had so many lychees and I could not let one single lychee go, you know, go to waste. Um, but for me, like the act of, and you've seen me do this, peeling open the, uh, the citrus is really mm-hmm. meditative for me. And especially like Kelsey who, uh, who sits even closer uh, mm-hmm. to me, like mm-hmm. had sent me a note recently. She's like, I smelled a clementine opening and it like brought me back to us sitting there because I will just sit there and like rip open <laughs> oranges and clementines and mandarins and stuff. There, yeah. I mean, I like, I add a bag of clementines to almost every grocery order I place. They're just like good to have lying around the house because chances are if they're in a bowl, I'll like reach for one of those instead of like, I don't know, eating something like decrepit, like, <laughs> I don't know, just something decrepit that I pull from the depths of my pantry. I will hurt myself uh, eat, like <laughs> eating clementines just at one after another after another. And the thing also about the before times in our office is there were free oranges. Oh, and yeah. These were not always great oranges, <laughs> but I got to know them really intimately no, because free fruit is good fruit. I will add my my previous job, which entailed sitting at the same desk, that was at Extra Crispy, which was our sister publication. It was all about breakfast. I tried 51 different kinds of oranges, I think. <laughs> so I, so I evaluated uh, like all different breeds of them and, and kinds and stuff. And, you know, all this whole citrus journey that I'm on is, is really taught me to appreciate the, the variations and, you know, knock on everything here. Uh, my, you know, I've had some of the some blossoms thus far from things mm-hmm. and some actual fruit. I have been eating calamondins for the past few days and making cocktails out of them. Um, I have some little baby Meyer lemons that have, have popped up. I have some red limes that have have popped up as well, and um, I have noticed my rang per limes are about to blossom. And I, I'm that's wonderful. It's the best smell in the whole entire universe is citrus blossom. Oh my, I hand pollinate them with, with Q-tips. And, <laughs> and the thing is like, I fully realize that this entire endeavor is just wacky. Um, but honestly, like I had a policy for myself that I would only grow things that were kind of hard to get in supermarkets. Mm-hmm. 
So I just, mm-hmm. I don't know, sometimes you have to create the the smell reality that you want to live in. Yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, it's like you're kind of filling that supply for yourself. I love that. Yeah. And actually, I got a text from my dad saying like, okay, so I saw that you're growing bergamot. You know, I know you take medications. I just want to make sure that your medication is like, okay with bergamot because his oh. medication is not. And, oh, wow. I didn't and, know that. That's and Seville Orange is apparently also like contraindicated for a lot of things. And for people People like me, I'm no longer on an SNRI because like I'm on, on different med now, uh, yeah. but the SNRIs, if you're on them, like contraindicated with grapefruit. Huh. <laughs> oh, right. That, that is a thing. I do know about that. For sure. Yeah. But I, I mean, all of this is, is just to say like, you know, you, you, the obsession section, it opens up the sunshine for all of us every month. And, uh, you know, it, it's just a beautiful portal. And I, I wanted people to just hear your voice and understand the passion that you you oh. know, put into this particular <laughs> session. And I also want to know, like, what are you currently obsessed with? Oh, boy. Um, what am I currently obsessed with? I mean, I feel like I've been spending a lot of my time on on wine lately just by virtue of studying for this for this thing that I'm studying for and I don't know it's been it's been cool to kind of figure out that like while I really enjoy you know natural wines and like new producers there's also a lot in the classics that I hadn't really given a shot that I really loved like I didn't know that I really loved Amarone until I heard you and Ray chat about it and then I sort of like dipped my toes into it and same with like Riesling like I like kind of just discovering all the different nuances of German Riesling and, and like what can happen there has been kind of a pretty fun journey to go down. So I feel like I feel like that's one thing. And then another is that we just bought a mini espresso machine for our apartment um, for Christmas. That was what Michael and I like got ourselves. And we've been like experimenting with a lot of different dairy-free milks um, because he has a dairy allergy. And so it's been kind of fun to see like which dairy-free milks froth up better than others. Like Ooh, um, what's your current, what's, what's in the lead. So, so I really like, um, there's a pea protein milk called Sproud that's Swedish that I really love how it froths. There's a barista blend of that that does a fantastic job, but my like go-to classic is minor figures. Um, oh, you which, love minor figures. I do. I really love minor figures. It's a British brand. Um, they're kind of tricky to find. And so like at the beginning of the pandemic, I brought myself like a massive crate of minor figures, which was a choice. Um, and yeah, so anyway, uh, I guess dairy-free milk is a thing that I am obsessed with, but like not just the regular oat milk stuff. (laughs) You want to know my current obsession? Yes. Watching this video of you cooking your dish from the Soppin' Store. It is good stuff. There are dad jokes. Um, Oset is, uh, my personal Ben Affleck and, uh, Thank like, you. that means so much. That means more than you will ever know. Me, I, I really appreciate it. And I want everybody to make this recipe, you know, channel your, your, inner, your inner dad, your inner Turkish Bostonian confused. Yeah, that's great. I'm here to hear for that. <laughs> Thank you. As always, my friend, I miss you. I miss you too. This was so great. Thanks for letting me ramble on this. Thank you so much to our guests today, Mary Frances Heck and Tara Sinha and Oset Babur. 
And I just am grateful for every single one of them and the stories that they bring to the table. And uh, sorry, y'all, about being a terrible bully. <laughs> I like to think it's for the best, but, you know, we learn, we grow. Um, and if you're listening to this episode and you don't have a copy of this magazine in your hands, oh, please get it. It's so beautiful. Um, those citrus pages, those uh, chicory pages, I just... I actually have them on my wall right now because they're so incredibly beautiful. Um, in addition, all of these recipes and stories are online and we will help you find them. So thank you to all of them. And Antara, thank you again for being the producer of this episode. It's so fun to have you on the other side of the mic this time. And, uh, you know, I, I, I adore all these people and now you get to hear their voices and adore them too. And, um, you know, Osette, she, you hear her name on this podcast every week as well, because she also works on the Food & Wine Pro newsletter. This is part of Food & Wine Pro, as we said up top, and that is, uh, it's a mission. <laughs> it is, it is stories, it is uh, podcasts, it, when such a thing can happen again, it is live events, it is the part of Food & Wine where we're really focused on the industry and uh, what's going on and offering really practical advice um, to people in restaurants who are having a tough time, which is everybody at this particular point. You can find these stories and on foodandwine.com slash fwpro. And if you don't want to go looking, you can just go ahead and subscribe to the Food and Wine Pro newsletter, where we share all these links every week to all of the stories that we're doing. We have the latest podcast, Oset Rounds Up, all of the news. We have mantras from Kelsey Youngman, a little bit more on that in a second. And you get a note from Hunter Lewis, our editor-in-chief, who is talking through the biggest issues of what is going on in the food world this week. And you just have to sit, you, you know, smash that subscribe button which is right there in the Food Wine Pro section. And uh, this just shows up and it's a really good and lovely thing. And we welcome feedback. We are pretty easy to find. I am Kitten with a Whip on Twitter or cat.kinsman at foodandwine.com because I really want to hear who you want to hear from, uh, people I might not know about or topics you want to hear discussed. Uh, this this podcast is uh, a thing I really, really like to do, and I want to try to make it better. Um, and I know Antara does as well. We're always working on it. So let me know who and what you want to hear about, and uh, you know we, we shall explore. And speaking of this podcast, you know, like I said, like to do it. It's easier to make a case for that when folks are, uh, you know, liking and commenting and all that stuff on um, all the various po podcast platforms, wherever it is. Uh, it helps us rise up in that all-knowing, all-seeing algorithm. And, uh, you know, more people can listen to the podcast. We get to have more of these conversations. So I would greatly appreciate if you if you like it, if you please uh, do that or share it with a friend and uh, make them part of this uh, wacky listening crew who we have. Um, I also want to thank Sarah Crowder, who gets the images together for the podcast each week. Uh, we have a page for it always on the site. And uh, she's just a joy of human being, and I'm grateful to work with her as well. I want you to uh, take good care of yourself till the next time that we chat. And the thing that might help you with that is these words from our beloved colleague, Kelsey Youngman. Hello there, it's Kelsey, the Associate Food Editor, back with another mantra. 
Over my winter break, I sat with a teaching that made me fully belly laugh. A true guffaw was rocks are people. Now, falling from my pose is how I responded, but then it kind of began to settle in and reveal its truth, no matter how odd or radical or false it sounded at first listen. It's really the notion of our true interconnectivity, our interdependence even, with other humans and our larger communities, environments, and, well, rocks. It's all energy inhabiting the same planet. Got me thinking about joy and silliness, too. In the midst of such heaviness, collective trauma and struggle, joy does have a place, too. It's not less valuable than pain in moving us forward. It is not always a detour or a distraction. So try to let joy in when it comes by. See where it takes you and revel in it. Remember, rocks are people too.